Autoeroticism, a study of the spontaneous manifestations of the sexual impulse, part three, section two, of studies in the psychology of sex, volume one, by Havelock Ellis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Autoeroticism, a study of the spontaneous manifestations of the sexual impulse, part three, section two. We must now turn to that aspect of our subject which in the past has always seemed the only aspect of autoerotic phenomena meriting attention, the symptoms and results of chronic masturbation. It appears to have been an Englishman who at the beginning of the eighteenth century first called popular attention to the supposed evils of masturbation. His book was published in London and entitled Onania, or the Heinous Sin of Self-Pollution, and All Its Frightful Consequences in Both Sexes considered with spiritual and physical advice, etc. It is not a serious medical treatise, but an early and certainly superior example of a kind of literature which we have since become familiar with through the daily newspapers. A large part of the book, which is cleverly written, is devoted in the later editions to the letters of nervous and hypochondriacal young men and women, who are too shy to visit the author but request him to send a bottle of his strengthening tincture, and mention that they are enclosing half a guinea, a guinea, or still larger sum. Concerning the composition of the strengthening tincture, we are not informed. This work, which was subsequently attributed to a writer named Beckers, is said to have passed through no less than eighty editions, and was translated into German. Tissot, a physician of Lausanne, followed with his Traité de l'Onanisme, Dissertation sur la maladie produite par la masturbation, first published in Latin, 1760, then in French, 1764, and afterwards in nearly all European languages. He regarded masturbation as a crime, and as an act of suicide. His book is a production of amusing exaggeration and rhetoric, zealously setting forth the prodigious evils of masturbation in a style which combines, as Christian remarks, the strains of Rousseau with a vein of religious piety. Tissot included only manual self-abuse under the term onanism. Shortly afterward, Voltaire, in his Dictionnaire philosophique, took up the subject, giving it a wider meaning, and still further popularizing it. Finally, Lallemand, at a somewhat later period, 1836, wrote a book which was indeed more scientific in character, but which still sought to represent masturbation as the source of all evils. These four writers, the author of Onania, Tissot, Voltaire, Lallemand, are certainly responsible for much. The mistaken notions of many medical authorities, carried on by tradition even down to our own time, the powerful lever which has been put in the hand of unscrupulous quacks, the suffering, dread, and remorse experienced in silence by many thousands of ignorant and often innocent young people, may all be traced in large measure back to these four well-meaning, but on this question misguided, authors. There is really no end to the list of real or supposed symptoms and results of masturbation as given by various medical writers during the last century. Insanity, epilepsy, numerous forms of eye disease, supraorbital headache, occipital headache, strange sensations at the top of the head, various forms of neuralgia, tenderness of the skin in the lower dorsal region, mammary tenderness in young girls, mammary hypertrophy, asthma, cardiac murmurs, the appearance of vesicles on wounds, acne and other forms of cutaneous eruptions, dilated pupils, eyes directed upwards and sideways, dark rings around the eyes, intermittent functional deafness, painful menstruation, catarrh of uterus and vagina, 
ovarian disease, pale and discolored skin, redness of nose, epistaxis, morbid changes in nose, convulsive cough of puberty, acidity of vagina, incontinence of urine in young women, warts on the hands in women, hallucinations of smell and hearing, intermittent functional deafness, indicated in the urine, an indescribable odor of the skin in women, these are but a few of the signs and consequences of masturbation given by various prominent authorities. That many of these manifestations do occur in connection with masturbation is unquestionable. There is also good reason to believe that some of them may be the results of masturbation acting on an imperfectly healthy organism. But in all such cases we must speak with great caution, for there appears to be little reliable evidence to show that simple masturbation in a well-born and healthy individual can produce any evil results beyond slight dysfunctional disturbances, and these only when it is practiced in excess. To illustrate the real pathological relationships of masturbation, a few typical and important disorders may be briefly considered. The delicate mechanism of the eye is one of the first portions of the nervous apparatus to be disturbed by any undue strain on the system. It is not surprising that masturbation should be widely incriminated as a cause of eye troubles. If, however, we inquire into the results obtained by the most cautious and experienced ophthalmological observers, it grows evident that masturbation as a cause of disease of the eye becomes merged into wider causes. In Germany, Hermann Kohn, the distinguished ophthalmic surgeon of Breslau, has dealt fully with the question. Kohn, who believes that all young men and women masturbate to some extent, finds that masturbation must be excessive for eye trouble to become apparent. In most of his cases there was masturbation several times daily during from five to seven years, in many during ten years, and in one during twenty-three years. In such cases we are obviously dealing with abnormal persons, and no one will dispute the possibility of harmful results. In some of the cases, when masturbation was stopped, the eye trouble improved. Even in these cases, however, the troubles were but slight, the chief being, apparently, photopsia, a subjective sensation of light with otherwise normal conditions of pupil, vision, color-sense, and retina. In some cases there was photophobia, and he has also found paralysis of accommodation and conjunctivitis. At a later date, Salmo Cohn, in his comprehensive monograph on the relationship between the eye and the sexual organs in women, brought together numerous cases of eye troubles in young women associated with masturbation. But in most of these cases masturbation has been practiced with great frequency for a long period, and the ocular affections were usually not serious. In England, Power has investigated the relations of the sexual system to eye disease. He is inclined to think that the effects of masturbation have been exaggerated, but he believes that it may produce such, for the most part, trivial complaints as photopsise, muskse, muscular asthenopia, possibly blepharospasm, and perhaps conjunctivitis. He goes on, however, to point out that more serious complaints of the eye are caused by excess in normal coitus by sexual abstinence, and especially by disordered menstruation. Thus, we see that even when we are considering a mechanism so delicately poised and one so easily disturbed by any jar of the system as vision, masturbation produces no effect except when carried to an extent which argues a hereditarily imperfect organism, while even in these cases the effects are usually but slight, moreover, in no respect specific, but are paralleled and even exceeded by the results of other disturbances of the sexual system. Let us turn to the supposed influence of masturbation in causing insanity and nervous diseases. Here we may chiefly realize the immense influence exerted on medical science by Tissot and his followers during a hundred years. Mental weakness is the cause and not the result of excessive masturbation, Gall declared, but he was a man of genius in isolation. 
Sir William Ellis, an alienist of considerable reputation at the beginning of last century, could write with scientific equanimity, I have no hesitation in saying that in a very large number of patients in all public asylums the disease may be attributed to that cause. He does, indeed, admit that it may be only a symptom sometimes, but goes on to assert that masturbation has not hitherto been exhibited in the awful light in which it deserves to be shown, and that in by far the great number of cases it is the true cause of dementia. Esquirol lent his name and influence to a similar view of the pernicious influence of masturbation. Throughout the century, even down to the present day, this point of view has been traditionally preserved in a modified form. In apparent ignorance of the enormous prevalence of masturbation, and without, so far as can be seen, any attempt to distinguish between cause and effect, or to eliminate the hereditary neuropathic element, many alienists have set down a large proportion of cases of insanity, idiocy, epilepsy, and disease of the spinal cord to uncomplicated masturbation. Thus, at the Mateawan State Hospital, New York, for criminal lunatics and insane prisoners, from 1875 to 1907, masturbation was the sole assigned cause of insanity in 160 men out of 2,595, while, according to Dr. Clara Barris, among 121 cases of insanity in young women, masturbation is the cause in 10 cases. It is unnecessary to multiply examples, for this traditional tendency is familiar to all. It appears to have been largely due to Griesinger, in the middle of the last century, that we owe the first authoritative appearance of a saner, more discriminating view regarding the results of masturbation. Although still to some extent fettered by the traditions prevalent in his day, Griesinger saw it was not so much masturbation itself as the feelings aroused in sensitive minds by the social attitude toward masturbation which produced evil effects. That constant struggle, he wrote, against a desire which is even overpowering, and to which the individual always in the end succumbs, that hidden strife between shame, repentance, good intentions, and the irritation which impels to the act, this, after not a little acquaintance with onanists, we consider to be far more important than the primary direct physical effect. He added that there are no specific signs of masturbation, and concluded that it is oftener a symptom than a cause. The general progress of educated opinion since that date has in the main confirmed and carried forward the results cautiously stated by Griesinger. This distinguished alienist thought that, when practiced in childhood, masturbation might lead to insanity. Burkan, in his investigation of the psychoses of childhood, found that in no single case was masturbation a cause. Vogel, Uffelmann, and Emminghaus, in the course of similar studies, have all come to almost similar conclusions. It is only on a congenitally morbid nervous system, Emminghaus insists, that masturbation can produce any serious results. Most of the cases charged to masturbation, writes Kiernan in a private letter, basing his opinion on wide clinical experience, are either hebephrenia or hysteria in which an effect is taken for the cause. Christian, during twenty years' experience in hospitals, asylums, and private practice in town and country, has not found any seriously evil effects from masturbation. He thinks, indeed, it, that it may be a more serious evil in women than in men, but Yellowlees considers that in women it is possibly less exhausting and injurious than in the other sex, which was also the opinion of Hammond as well as of Goodsight, though he found that women pushed the practice much further than men, and Necke, who was given special attention to this point, could not find that masturbation is a definite cause of insanity in women in a single case. Koch also reaches a similar conclusion as regards both sexes, though he admits that masturbation may cause some degree of psychopathic deterioration. Even in this respect, however, he points out 
that when practiced in moderation it is not injurious in the certain and exceptionless way in which it is believed to be in many circles. It is the people whose nervous systems are already injured who masturbate most easily and practice it more immoderately than others. The chief source of its evil is self-reproach and the struggle with the impulse. Kalbaum, it is true, under the influence of the older tradition, when he erected catatonia into a separate disorder, not always accepted in later times, regarded prolonged and excessive masturbation as a chief cause, but I am not aware that he ever asserted that it was a sole and sufficient cause in a healthy organism. Kiernan, one of the earliest writers on catatonia, was careful to point out that masturbation was probably as much effect as cause of the morbid nervous condition. Maudsley, in body and mind, recognized masturbation as a special exciting cause of a characteristic form of insanity, but he cautiously added, Nevertheless, I think that self-abuse seldom, if ever, produces it without the cooperation of the insane neurosis. Schule also recognized a specific masturbatory insanity, but the general tendency to reject any such nosological form is becoming marked. Kraft Ebing long since rejected it, and Necke decidedly opposes it. Kreppelin states that excessive masturbation can only occur in a dangerous degree in predisposed subjects, so also Forel and Löwenfeld, as at an earlier period Trousseau. It is true that Maro, in his admirable and detailed study of the normal and abnormal aspects of puberty, accepts a form of masturbatory insanity, but the only illustrative case he brings forward is a young man possessing various stigmata of degeneracy and the son of an alcoholic father. Such a case tells us nothing regarding the results of simple masturbation. Even Spitzka, who maintained several years ago the traditional views as to the terrible results of masturbation and recognized a special insanity of masturbation, stated his conclusions with a caution that undermined his position. Self-abuse, he concluded, to become a sole cause of insanity must be begun early and carried very far. In persons of sound antecedents it rarely, under these circumstances, suffices to produce an actual vesania. When we remember that there is no convincing evidence to show that masturbation is begun early and carried very far by persons of sound antecedents, the significance of Spitka's typical psychosis of masturbation is somewhat annulled. It is evident that these distinguished investigators, Morrow and Spitzka, have been induced by tradition to take up a position which their own scientific consciences have compelled them practically to evacuate. Recent authorities are almost unanimous in rejecting masturbation as a cause of insanity. Thus, Roleda, in his comprehensive monograph, although taking a very serious view of the evil results of masturbation, points out the unanimity which is now tending to prevail on this point, and lays it down that masturbation is never the direct cause of insanity. Sexual excesses of any kind, he adds, can, at the most, merely give an impetus to a latent form of insanity. On the whole, he concludes, the best authorities are unanimous in agreeing that masturbation may certainly injure mental capacity by weakening memory and depressing intellectual energy, that further, in hereditarily neurotic subjects, it may produce slight psychoses like folie de dute, hypochondria, hysteria, that finally, under no circumstances can it produce severe psychoses like paranoia or general paralysis. If it caused insanity, as often as some claim, as Kellogg remarks, the whole race would long since have passed into masturbatic degeneracy of mind. It is especially injurious in the very young, and in all who have weak nervous systems. But the physical traits attributed to the habit are common to thousands of neurasthenic and neurotic individuals. 
Again, at the outset of the article on masturbation in Tuke's Dictionary of Psychological Medicine, Yellow Lee states that on account of the mischief formerly done by reckless statements, it is necessary to state plainly that unless the practice has been long and greatly indulged, no permanent evil effects may be observed to follow. Necke, again, has declared, there are neither somatic nor psychic symptoms peculiar on onanism, nor is there any specific onanistic psychosis. I am prepared to deny that onanism ever produces any psychoses in those who are not already predisposed. That such a view is now becoming widely prevalent is illustrated by the cautious and temperate discussion of masturbation in a recent work by a non-medical writer, Geoffrey Mortimer. The testimony of expert witnesses with regard to the influence of masturbation in producing other forms of psychoses and neuroses is becoming equally decisive, and here, also, the traditions of Tissot are being slowly effaced. I have not, in the whole of my practice, wrote West forty years ago, out of a large experience among children and women, seen convulsions, epilepsy, or idiocy induced by masturbation in any child of either sex. Neither have I seen any instance in which hysteria, epilepsy, or insanity in women after puberty was due to masturbation, as its efficient cause. Gower speaks somewhat less positively, but regards masturbation as not so much a cause of true epilepsy as of atypical attacks, sometimes of a character intermediate between the hysteroid and the epileptoid form. This relationship he has frequently seen in boys. Leyden, among the causes of diseases of the spinal cord, does not include any form of sexual excess. In moderation, Erb remarks, masturbation is not more dangerous to the spinal cord than natural coitus, and has no bad effects. It makes no difference, Erb considers, whether the orgasm is affected normally or in solitude. This is also the opinion of Toulouse, of Fuebringer, and of Kurschmann, as at an earlier period it was of Roubault. While these authorities are doubtless justified in refusing to ascribe to masturbation any part in the production of psychic or nervous diseases, it seems to me that they are going somewhat beyond their province when they assert that masturbation has no more injurious effect than coitus. If sexual coitus were a purely physiological phenomenon, this position would be sound. But the sexual orgasm is normally bound up with a mass of powerful emotions aroused by a person of the opposite sex. It is in the joy caused by the play of these emotions, as well as in the discharge of the sexual orgasm, that the satisfaction of coitus resides. In the absence of the desired partner, the orgasm, whatever relief it may give, must be followed by a sense of dissatisfaction, perhaps of depression, even of exhaustion, often of shame and remorse. The same remark has since been made by Stanley Hall. Practically also, as John Hunter pointed out, there is more probability of excess in masturbation than in coitus. Whether, as some have asserted, masturbation involves a greater nervous effort than coitus is more doubtful. It thus seems somewhat misleading to assert that masturbation has no more injurious effect than coitus. Reviewing the general question of the supposed grave symptoms and signs of masturbation and its pernicious results, we may reach the conclusion that in the case of moderate masturbation in healthy, well-born individuals, no seriously pernicious results necessarily follow. With regard to the general signs, we may accept, as concerns both sexes, what the Obstetrical and Gynecological Society of Berlin decided in 1861, in a discussion of it in women, that there are none which can be regarded as reliable. We may conclude finally with Clouston that the opposing views on the subject may be simply explained by the fact that the writers on both sides have ignored or insufficiently recognized the influence of heredity and temperament. They have done precisely what so many unscientific writers on inebriety have continued to do unto the present day, 
when describing the terrible results of alcohol, without pointing out that the chief factor in such cases has not been the alcohol, but the organization on which the alcohol acted. Excess may act, according to the familiar old-fashioned adage, like the lighted match. But we must always remember the obvious truth, that it makes a considerable difference whether you threw your lighted match into a powder magazine or into the sea. While we may thus dismiss the extravagant views widely held during the past century, concerning the awful results of masturbation, as due to ignorance and false tradition, it must be pointed out that even in healthy or moderately healthy individuals any excess in solitary self-excitement may still produce results which, though slight, are yet harmful. The skin, digestion, and circulation may all be disordered, headache and neuralgia may occur, and as in normal sexual excess or in undue frequency of sexual excitement during sleep, there is a certain general lowering of nervous tone. Probably the most important of the comparatively frequent results, though this also arises usually on a somewhat morbid soil, is neurasthenia, with its manifold symptoms. There can be little doubt that the ancient belief, dating from the time of Hippocrates, that sexual excesses produce spinal disease, as well as the belief that masturbation causes insanity, are largely due to the failure to diagnose neurasthenia. The following case of neurasthenia, recorded by Eulenburg, may be given as a classical picture of the nervous disturbances which may be associated with masturbation, and are frequently regarded as solely caused by habits of masturbation. Miss H. H., twenty-eight years of age, a robust brunette, with fully developed figure, without any trace of anemia or chlorosis, but with an apathetic expression, bluish rings around the eyes, with hypochondriacal and melancholy feelings. She complains of pressure on the head, as if head would burst, giddiness, ringing in the ears, photopsia, hemicrania, pains in the back and at sacrum, and symptoms of spinal idynamia, with a sense of fatigue on the least exertion in walking or standing. She sways when standing with closed eyes, tendon reflexes exaggerated. There is a sense of oppression, intercostal neuralgia, and all the signs of neurasthenic dyspepsia, and cardialgia, nausea, flatulence, meteorism, and alternate constipation and diarrhea. She chiefly complains of a feeling of weight and pain in the abdomen, caused by the slightest movement, and of a form of pollution, with clitoridian spasms, especially near menstruation, with copious flows of mucus, characteristic pains, and hyperexcitability. Menstruation was irregular and profuse. Examination showed tumid and elongated nymphae with brown pigmentation, rather large vagina with rudimentary hymen, and retroflexion of uterus. After much persuasion, the patient confessed that when a girl of twelve, and as the result of repeated attempts at coitus by a boy of sixteen, she had been impelled to frequent masturbation. This had caused great shame and remorse, which, however, had not sufficed to restrain the habit. Her mother having died, she lived alone with her invalid father and had no one in whom to confide. Regarding herself as no longer a virgin, she had refused several offers of marriage, and thus still further aggravated her mental condition. Since Beard first described neurasthenia, many diverse opinions have been expressed concerning the relationships of sexual irregularities to neurasthenia. Gilles de la Tourette, in his little monograph on neurasthenia, following the traditions of Charcot's school, dismisses the question of any sexual causation without discussion. Binswanger, while admitting that nearly all neurasthenic persons acknowledge masturbation at some point, considers it is not an important cause of neurasthenia, only differing from coitus by the fact that the opportunities for it are more frequent, 
and that the sexual disturbances of neurasthenia are, in the majority of cases, secondary. Rolleda, on the other hand, who takes a very grave view of the importance of masturbation, considers that its most serious results are a question of neurasthenia. Kraft Ebing has declared his opinion that masturbation is a cause of neurasthenia. Christian, Leyden, Erb, Rosenthal, Beard, Hummel, Hammond, Hermann Kohn, Kurschmann, Saville, Hermann, Fürbringer, all attach chief importance to neurasthenia as a result of masturbation. Collins and Philip, in an analysis of 333 cases of neurasthenia, found that 123 cases were apparently due to overwork or masturbation. Freud concludes that neurasthenia proper can nearly always be traced to excessive masturbation or to spontaneous pollutions. This view is confirmed by Gattel's careful study. Gattel investigated 100 consecutive cases of severe functional nervous disorder in Kraft-Ebing's clinic at Vienna, and found that in every case of neurasthenia, in a male, 28 in all, there was masturbation, while of the 15 women with neurasthenia only one is recorded as not masturbating, and she practiced coitus reservatus. Irrespective of the particular form of the nervous disorder, Gattel found that 18 women out of 42 and 36 men out of 58 acknowledged masturbation. This shows a slightly larger proportion among the men, but the men were mostly young, while the women were mostly of more mature age. It must, however, always be remembered that we have no equally careful statistics of masturbation in perfectly healthy persons. We must also remember that we have to distinguish between the post and the propter, and that it is quite possible that neurasthenic persons are specially predisposed to masturbation. Bloch is of this opinion, and remarks that a vicious circle may thus be formed. On the whole, there can be little doubt that neurasthenia is liable to be associated with masturbation carried to an excessive extent. But while neurasthenia is probably the severest affection that is liable to result from or accompany masturbation, we are scarcely yet entitled to accept the conclusion of Gattel that in such cases there is no hereditary neurotic predisposition. We must steer clearly between the opposite errors of those on the one hand who assert that hereditary is the sole cause of functional nervous disorders, and those on the other hand who consider that the incident that may call out the disorder is itself a soul-sufficient cause. End of Autoeroticism Part 3, Section 2